0: You are listening to Pastor Mike Harvey of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Spiritual Wellness Plan, recorded on March eleventh, two 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. How many of you guys watch the Winter Olympics? Any show up? No, not very many. You know, I was really bored by the Olympics this year. I don't know if it was ABC's coverage of the Olympics or, or what it was, but they were just kind of lackluster to me. And it wasn't because Amer- the Americans didn't win uh, more medals than that team that wasn't Russia but was Russia. Um, I am more excited, though, about the Paralympics. How many of you re- realize that following the Olympics about a month later, a month later, they have the Paralympics? How many of you have ever seen the Paralympics on TV? A few hands. It starts today, by the way, and it's going to be televised. I think it's going to be televised a little bit more than normal, so I want to encourage you to check it out. Those athletes I really admire. I really admire all athletes because I used to aspire to be an athlete until uh, I got arthritis in my toes and uh, a bunch of other things happened. I don't aspire to be an athlete anymore. It's one thing to be an Olympic caliber athlete when you have all your body parts, it's another thing to be an Olympic caliber athlete when you don't have, when you don't have the body parts that you and I uh, normally, accustomed, uh, normally associate with athletes, right? Hands, feet, legs. Some of these folks don't have those appendages and they, they manage to uh, compete on an extremely high level. So I want to encourage you, if you have an opportunity uh, for the, over the next nine days, uh, to tune into ABC, hopefully their coverage of the Paralympics will be a little bit better than, uh, than at least I thought the, the other Olympics were. You know, I've always been cur- a little curious about how much money it takes to be an Olympic athlete. Uh, so I followed the money. Uh, usually they say, go ahead and follow the money, and so I, I did, some, uh, did, some, did some research, uh, and I just looked at figure skating. So I didn't look at any of the other sports but figure skating. A private coaching fee. Uh, how, are there any folks, are there any parents here who have kids that aspire to be figure skaters when they get older? Well, good, because if, if, if there are, you better start saving. Uh, $65 to $120 per hour for private coaching. And, and you're not going to really get to be an Olympic caliber athlete unless you have multiple coaches. That's a lot of coin, isn't it? Um, choreography. Now, they go to multiple programs throughout the year. Choreography for each program is anywhere between $1,500 and $2,500 for, for each program they go to. Figure skating outfits. Now, this really surprised me because it just looks like a bathing suit with some fringes and some tassels. Uh, $2,500 to $10,000 for a figure skating outfit. Uh, skates. 800 to to $1,000, and that doesn't include the blades. Blades are extra. And you know you're going to go through multiple blades because you're doing all these jumps and spins and you're landing on the ice, the hard ice. Um, blades are going to cost you another $1,000 per pair. Blades alone. Add travel costs, physical therapy, conditioning services. You're looking at between thirty-five and $50,000 just for that. Two hundred and fifty thousand to three hundred thousand dollars on average a year that a family will pay for their son or daughter to pursue athletics. That is that's really outrageous to me. And and add the pressure, add that pressure. You've got parents who are paying a tremendous amount of money. They're they're waking up at three, four o'clock in the morning to get their kids to ice time, or or sometimes even late at night, one o'clock, and driving hours, you add all those things together, no wonder there's so much pressure. No wonder there's so much pressure and temptation to take performance-enhancing drugs. No wonder we have a a whole Olympic team uh, dealing with a doping scandal because there's a tremendous amount of pressure uh, involved in the sports. For you and I, though, uh, it's just easier to go buy that golf club that's going to make us hit like Tiger Woods, isn't it? And, and you've all seen the infomercials, haven't you? With just 27 payments of $300, you can have this driver that's signed by Tiger Woods, and you'll hit just as far as he will. Uh, how about basketball shoes? You'll, you'll dribble, and you'll shoot like Steph Curry. Oh, and it, no sports? I have a pair of knives and some pots and pans that will make you cook like an iron chef. And, and it'll just cost you, cost you four installments of $100. But we give into that, don't we? We are suckers for that stuff. Because we really want uh, things quick. We don't want to take the effort and the energy to really learn what's involved in golfing. To really learn what's involved in shooting like Steph Curry or maybe even cooking. And Christians seem to be easy prey for that stuff too, don't we? Attend this conference and your life will be forever changed. How many of you have gone to that conference? How many of you came home three days later and when trials and temptations and when the struggles of life hit, you forgot everything you learned at the conference? That's what happens. We attend and we come away on a spiritual high that lasts for a while, but the the, the glow wears off, doesn't it? Have this spiritual experience and you will live a new spiritual high. Even the disciples wrestled with this. Remember, they're on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and they see something that no human being would ever see until they get to heaven. Jesus trans- transforms into his, into his pre-incarnate self and the, the three disciples that were with him, they want to build a little booths up on the mountain to stay there. And Jesus is like, no, we, we have to go down to the valley because that's where life is. That's where ministry is. And we want to stay on the highs. Read this book. How many, how many of you have heard read this book or try this method and you'll have your best life now? Our, there are just as many self-help Christian books on Christian, in Christian bookstores as there are in secular bookstores because we're looking for the quick fix. But none of these fix-alls really deliver what they claim, do they? Do they? What's our problem? We're looking for an easy, quick way to get where we can only get, and you're gonna see it in our passage for today, uh, and you might as well turn there, First Timothy chapter four. But we're looking for an easy, quick way to get where we can only get by disciplining ourselves, and we don't like to hear the word discipline. Exercising is another word that, that the scriptures use, or training. But we're looking for the easy, quick way to get there. And we're going to be talking about godliness, pursuing godliness and exercising and training and and disciplining ourselves for godliness. But even there, we want the quick fix. There's no way to godliness except through discipline and training and exercise. Invariably, defeated Christians are undisciplined Christians. It's not, uh, I think C.S. Lewis said, it's not that the Christian life has been tried and has found wanting. It's that we are the ones wanting. The Christian life isn't wanting. We're the ones wanting. We give up. We throw in the towel. We, when, when life gets hard, and one of the parable of the soils and the parable of the sower, when life got hard, that soil, that seed was stolen away. When the trials came, we don't persevere. And I know you don't want to hear that, do you? You don't want to hear that, uh, that we need to live a disciplined life. We live in a society that offers a quick fix to every problem. Miraculous new weight loss program or a proven, proven effortless way to learn a foreign language. We're suckers for that. And we'll pay hard-earned cash. We'll pay hard-earned cash for weeks and months and years sometimes uh, to get the easy answers to our tough problems. But mark it well, you will not make it spiritually if you don't discipline yourself, train yourself, exercise for your, yourself to God. What is the key to becoming disciplined? It's, it's not waking up earlier. It's not working harder. And, and that sometimes is, is the problem. We think it means working harder. Sometimes it means understanding what it means to live in Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to live through and in us. But what, does, what is the key to becoming disciplined? I think, I think it has to do with motivation. I think it has to do with what's at the end, in, what's the end in sight. Why do these Olympic athletes drive themselves relentlessly for years? They're motivated to win a temporary prize. And by the way, you know how much an Olympic gold medal costs? that little chunk of gold, about $600. And, and maybe, if they're good enough, they'll get a Wheaties endorsement or, or some other kind of endorsement, and they can get some of that money back. But that happens to very few Olympic athletes. Well, what's our motivation? What's a what's motivation for Christian? For the Christian, what's the motivation for us to discipline ourselves for godliness? And I think the motivation is eternal issues are at stake, and that's what we're going to find out. Uh, this that's what we're going to find out in our passage today. So again, turn with me to First Timothy chapter four. We're going to start reading at verse six. We're going to end at verse ten. Uh, but kind of s- uh, sprinkled in sprinkled in those readings, I just want to comment on some of these verses. Remember, this is Paul's message to his young co-worker, the young pastor of the church at Ephesus. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 says this. If you put these things before the brothers, I certainly think that Timothy or Paul may have been referring to the, the, the previous four verses, uh, five verses and what were the false teachers attempting to do. Through rigid asceticism, don't marry. They were trying to do essentially what these slick salesmen do. Uh, trying to convince us to buy the golf clubs or the, or the tennis shoes. If you, if you don't marry, if you eat special food, you will attain a level of spirituality unequaled. Those are the false teachers. But Paul is saying, if you put these things before the brothers, and he gave Timothy some warnings, Timothy, Timothy some encouragements, but he's going to give him some more. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now remember who Timothy is. He is the pastor of, he's a young, growing pastor at the church in Ephesus. And so one tendency as you hear that, as you know that fact, is to turn yourself off. It might have been a a danger of hearing what we heard in 1 Timothy chapter 3 about elders and deacons. Uh, Pastor Mike preached a great sermon on the qualifications of elders and deacons, and so the tendency and the danger is we look at ourselves and go, well, I'm not an elder or deacon, so those things don't apply. And the reality is, that's not true, is it? Scripture tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's instructions have something to say to all of God's people, so don't, don't turn off your brains, even, even though Paul is talking to a young co-worker, a young pastor, Timothy. Because what he has to say to Timothy applies to us. So as we come to this passage, yes, in the first instance, Paul has in view Timothy in his ministry, bearing in mind certain things that he needs to do and be as a good pastor, all of us are called to be good servants of the Lord. Faithful stewards of the scriptures, aren't we? In all the contexts that God puts us in. So there is something for every single one of us to learn and to hear today certainly one of the themes that Paul keeps coming back to in this letter to Timothy is the importance of good doctrine I had a friend of mine when I was uh, in seminary of all places to to not want to talk about doctrine he just he didn't want to talk about doctrine and I'm like why don't you want to talk about doctrine because it's stuffy it's old and stale I'm like well no wait a minute I'm sorry that your experience with doctrine was stuffy stale and old but that doesn't mean, you, don't, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And Paul is telling Timothy, good doctrine, alerting people to the dangers of bad doctrine. That's what pastors are to do. But is that just pastors? You, we do that for one another, don't we, in the body of Christ. We should be our brother's keeper and our sister's keeper. And in this world, in our culture of individualism, I don't want you to give in to that temptation to think it's not my responsibility to challenge my brothers and sisters with the things they believe and how they live. Because if they're out of accord with Scripture, you have a responsibility to gently correct them. And we should all take that seriously. And it's not easy. And the Scripture gives us some patterns to follow. You can write down Matthew 18 is a good pattern to start. If there's a brother in sin or a sister in sin, go to Matthew 18. That'll, that'll outline for you some practical ways to, to reach out to your brothers and sisters in Christ. But Jesus, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7:15 and 16, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And he told us how we'll recognize them. And this really leads us to our first point on your maps. What we believe shapes how we behave. In fact, I believe that what we believe is fleshed out in how we behave. If we don't behave in certain ways in accord with how we believe, then we probably really don't believe it. If it doesn't change the way we behave, do we really believe it? If, if, if I didn't do anything nice for my wife, if I, didn't, if I didn't care for her, if I didn't care for the house that we live in, how would she know I love her? Because it's easy to say those things, right? It's easy to say, I love so and so. It's not as easy to flesh that stuff out, is it? But that's really where the test is, is as you're fleshing it out. So behavior, recognizing imposters is not easy, but Jesus tells us to look at their fruit. And particularly the fruit in Timothy that he calls us to look for, if you're questioning what the fruit we need to look for in our leaders is the qualifications for elders and deacons. That's how you know you've got good leaders, good servants in your midst. Look at their lives. Look at their families. Look at their repute in the community. Those are the fruits. And then there's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, Goodness. Are you seeing more and more and more of those fruits in your own lives? Spiritual leadership is moving people onto God's agenda. That's Henry Blackaby, by the way. Tom Landry said this, the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be, and I think that's very similar to a pastor, to a servant. You, you all want to be like Christ, but you're not willing to do what it takes to be like Christ, and, and so we need people. But there's the warning in that is those who preach and teach need to be reminded of this regularly because sheep bite. You bite. You bite when you don't like what you've been told to do. First Timothy, uh, verses four, seven, uh, chapter 4, 7, and 8. Paul continues, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And there is the counter to the false teachers. The false teachers were sowing all of this disunity, this discourse. They were, they were sowing uh, silly myths and irreverent myths. Don't marry, eat particular foods, celebrate certain festivals. But he says, rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of, godliness is of value in every way as it hold, holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul doesn't keep us in the dark about his opinion regarding false teachers or false teaching. He calls them irreverent, silly myths. And there are a load of them today, aren't they? There's loads of irreverent, silly myths. You don't hear much of Rob Bell anymore unless Oprah's talking about him. But Rob Bell denies hell. And it's interesting, Jesus talks a lot about hell. Rob Bell is teaching a silly myth Uh, Benny Hinn and Creflo Dollar, and I I hope that I'm touching a nerve, because I I know maybe some of you listen to these guys or watch them on TV. They teach; they their teaching on the Bible is all about getting rich, not about Jesus. They teach silly myths. Avoid them. Sarah Young, author of the book Jesus Calling, claims that her book contains the very words of Jesus. Now you might say, well, what's wrong with that? That is one step away from saying it is the words of Jesus. It contains the words of Jesus. Not all the words are Jesus's, but some of them are Jesus's. She's teaching a silly myth. Avoid her. Joel Osteen teaches not about Jesus, but about happiness and prosperity. Avoid him. These folks are serving spiritual junk food. Stay away from the spiritual junk food. And if if Paul, doesn't, if Paul doesn't want to drive this home once, he's going to drive it home seven times in First Timothy, six times in Second in Timothy, and three more times in Titus. He was concerned about false teachers. And while he has serious concerns for false teachers and false teachings, he's just as concerned about making sure that Timothy is spiritually equipped equipped in counterterrorism. Because that's, that's how we need to fight against this false teaching Train yourself for godliness. That's being equipped in counterterrorism. Other versions translate it discipline or exercise, and for Paul, the opposite of the controversy stirred up by the false teachers is godliness. And I know that we have some folks that work out here, and they work out regularly. I try to work out. I don't know what gets in the way. I know what gets in the way. I'm lazy. That's what gets in the way. I'd rather curl around my pillow than get up and go push weights, but I need, I understand the value of exercise. And Paul is not despising bodily exercise. He's making a comparison between bodily exercise and spiritual exercise. And the comparison is that spiritual development and physical development do share some similarities. With each, growth comes with exertion and proper feeding. You've got to tear those muscles down so they can build back up that takes exertion and it takes eating well it's fine to discipline your physical body paul says it will help you for a few years and when you consider 70 plus years that an average person lives in our day and age compared to eternity that's few isn't it it's few years but we put a tremendous amount of of focus on those 70 years as if they're the only thing that matter and it's not Again, it doesn't mean we should, we, should become, we should give up on our bodies. These, our, our bodies, uh, we're, we're called to be good stewards of our bodies. Are we not? Amen. We need to take care of these temples, which we are part of a larger temple of the Holy Spirit, but we still need to take care of our temple. It's far better, though, to discipline yourself spiritually Because it will put you in a good place, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. And you know, the idea, uh, physical training, is to practice something to the point where you get good at it in two ways. First, your muscles become stronger. Okay? Secondly, you develop muscle memory. If you practice shooting those free throws over over and over and over and over again... Hitting that golf club, that's why practice is so important. You are going to create muscle memory in your muscles so it comes more naturally to you. Don't marvel at, at Tiger Woods who gets out there and, and hits one down the center of the fairway 350 yards every time. I know that 350 yards is an exaggeration. But don't marvel at that. He spends 9, 10 hours a day hitting those things. Of course he's going to groove them down the center of the fairway. Steph Curry, those basketball players, those baseball players, they spend tremendous amount of time disciplining their bodies. And sometimes we just expect to jump on that court and be like them. We're not, if we're not willing to put in the time, we're not going to be like them. George Whitfield, who was a famous evangelist and preacher in the American colonies in the uh, mid to late 1700s, important figure in the Great Awakening, uh, once told of seeing some criminals riding in a cart on their way to the gallows. They were arguing like a bunch of kids going on a trip about who is going to sit on the right side of the cart. Here were men condemned to die in a few hours, but their focus was on who got the best seat on the way to the execution. But isn't that exactly like everyone who's living for this life rather than for eternity? It is. It is. And don't think that you are immune to it. Because you and I live, we live for the temporal as well. And and it's when we're not willing to discipline ourselves for godliness. We live for the temporal. One of the reasons we're so spiritually flabby is that we're caught up with the temporal. We tend to think that we and others will live forever. But what is the Bible very clear about? There is one day that man is appointed to die. Sorry for the morbidity, but it's the scriptures. There's one day for men, and and we're going to die. We'd be better preparing for what lies beyond, because, and this is the next point in your map, eternity is a fact Because eternity is a fact, we should discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Well, what is discipline? What is godliness? Let me answer those two questions, and I just want to camp here for a little bit, and then I'm going to give you a couple applications, and then we'll call it a night. I think here's the first thing that discipline is discipline is an ongoing process, not a quick fix. It's an ongoing process, it's not a quick fix. You are going to be working at discipline, spiritually speaking, until you die. That's just the reality. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 11 through 14, Paul says, and he's talking about, these verses are following uh, Paul saying, I want to be like Christ. I want to share in his sufferings, uh, share in his resurrection. And he says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He presses on. Paul uses athletic analogies and wrestling analogies and and hard work analogies over and over and over again in the scriptures, soldier analogies. And and he had those soldiers, uh, those Roman soldiers were well-trained. They weren't schlubs. They They knew their equipment and their weapons well, but it wasn't for lack of training. But Paul goes on in Philippians 3, he says, but one thing I do, he says, brothers, I don't consider myself to have made it yet. I haven't made it. You haven't made it. We're we on a journey. But he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Are you pressing on? Are you pressing through those struggles and difficulties? Or are you given up? Have you given up? Have you said it's too difficult? And you've turned to to another substitute to fix the problems? Because that's really where addiction comes from. it's, It's turning to something else as a substitute for what God has for us. Here's the second thing that discipline is. It involves hard work. Discipline doesn't come naturally, does it? Uh, None of our children were born disciplined. You had to tell your kids not to touch things. You had to tell your kids not to run over to the steps. You had to tell your kids not to stick their fingers in light sockets. You had to tell your kids not to touch the stoves. You had to discipline them. And yeah, I know there's some value in in childproofing our house, but you know what? Sometimes it might not be a bad idea to let them stick their finger in the socket. (laughs) They'll learn really quick that dad was right right? Dad was right. I shouldn't stick my finger in the socket. Or I shouldn't touch the stove when it's hot. I know. I'm looking out and I'm thinking, maybe some of you already did that. I don't don't watch these shows, but I, I I know the general tendency of them. But take shows like Survivor or Bachelor or Bachelorette. When you stick a bunch of people in a room, you stick a bunch of people on an island together, you stick a bunch of people in a hotel together, they're going to do what comes naturally to them. And if anything, these shows are laboratories of human sinfulness, greed, lying, and cheating. And that's just our bent. It's hard work. And it's daily work. It's ongoing work. Paul says, take off the old, put on the new. And that's not just once. That's every day. We have to take off the old, put on the new. We come into a circumstance or situation we have to work hard to take off the old put on the new. It doesn't just happen. Discipline is not a spiritual gift. To exercise discipline means acting against what natural, it comes naturally because you have a higher goal. But no one wants to be disciplined because it it rarely comes with immediate gratification. And see, Immediate gratification is a, a, a virtue in our culture today. It's a virtue for our kids and parents. You give into it, don't you? You give into it the moment they cry in their crib. You go run into them. Let them cry, it's not going to kill them. To delay gratification in our culture today is a cardinal sin because it violates our feelings and which in might turn do some psychological damage to us. But if you're disciplined, even though you feel like devouring that death by chocolate piece of cake, you're going to say no to it because you have a higher value of losing weight. Or you feel like sleeping in. And I know, you know, morning times are probably the best for me to open the scriptures and to spend time praying because as the evening comes, I don't have a whole lot of energy left. In fact, there are times I sit on my couch and just go, because the day's long. And so for me, personally, and I don't, you guys have to find your own rhythm with God. But for me, it's the morning. And it's really easy sometimes when it's cold to roll over but discipline says, you know what? My relationship with God is more important, so I'm going to roll out of that bed, and I'm going to grab that Bible and that cup of coffee, and I'm going to go spend time reading it. Training ourselves for godliness is something in which both God and man are involved. Galatians 5, and 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. See, when the Spirit of God controls you, He he fits you with the ability to to begin controlling yourself. when, when When he fills you with love, he gives you the ability to love others. When he fills you with patience, he gives you the ability to be patient with others. But you have to do something, don't you? Train yourself, Paul tells Timothy. You cooperate in the process, and the bottom line is, are you willing to pay the price? Here's the third thing. Discipline means discarding hindrances. Paul tells Timothy to have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Some translations say old wives' tales. And, and because I don't want to single out the women in here, men, I know some men who can, who can weave some pretty tall tales too. It's amazing how that little bluegill they caught at the dock becomes a huge largemouth at the fire at night. We can weave some tales. You know, the Greek word for discipline is the same word that we get our word gymnasium for. But here's a goofy thing. It it comes, it's derived from a word that means naked because the Greek athletes would strip off their clothing to not hinder themselves from the purpose of winning their event. Now, the Greek athletes, they didn't have some of the events that we had today. It was mostly track and field events. And so, I mean, what do some of our athletes do today? Well, now they're getting those skin-tight suits that they don't have to shave their whole bodies, but swimmers, they used to shave their whole bodies from head to toe because they didn't want to have that drag, that little little leg hair caused. But they stripped it off. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It means that we have to say no to things that hinder us from our purpose. What's, what's the goal? Godliness. Is, is, is that television show contributing to your godliness? I know that this is kind of a sideline, but I had, a, when I was a youth pastor early on in my ministry career, I had a couple kids in our youth group that smoked pot and they weren't ashamed of it. And I, I went over to one of their houses one day, and I could smell it. I knew that they were lighting up. And I sat down, and I said, what do you think the Bible has to say about that? Bible doesn't say anything about pot. Doesn't say anything about pot. And I went, okay. Maybe it doesn't use the word pot. It certainly talks about us not being controlled by things other than the Holy Spirit, and that's going to control you, isn't it? Well, I suppose. I said, listen, I have a, I have a, I have a deal with you. I'll, I'll, I'll strike a deal with you. If you can show me anywhere in the Bible, first of all, that says the pot's good, and that it makes you be more like Jesus, I'll roll the joint for you. <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen, because you, you got you to throw it away. It doesn't contribute to the purpose. It doesn't make you be more like Jesus. If there's anything in your life, and I'm not going to try to outline that for you, you've got to figure that out in your own relationship with your father. What are those things that you keep in your life that that hinder you from becoming like Jesus? Get rid of them. Lay them aside. Because they're demotivating you. They're they're taking your eyes off Jesus and on something else that isn't going to, to... to get you where you're going. So do a little inventory. Fourth, discipline means keeping your eyes on the goal. And again, what's the goal? From this passage, Just godliness. And godliness is this. If you were to write down a definition of godliness, it would be simply this. To have the character and the attitude of God. Another word for godliness is godlikeness. To have the character and the and the attitude of God. Would anybody say that's a worthy goal? To have the character and the attitude of God? To a certain degree, you already have that. Because scripture says, you have the mind of Christ, if you're a Christian. But you can't, you you still have to work at it. You still have to take off the old and put on the new. Why? Because even the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 said, You know, the very thing I, I want to do, I find myself not doing it. And that, what I, that, that which I don't want to do, I do. And there's this battle, this wrestling in each of us. And when's that wrestling going to stop? When you die and go to heaven. There, you're never going to be perfect this side of heaven, you're always going to have to wrestle. But it means keeping your eye on the goal. And again, Paul says that some physical exercise has some value, but not much eternal value, does it? The second part of Hebrews, uh, second verse of Hebrews 12, what does the writer say? But fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. It's not up to you ultimately to finish your faith. He's going to finish it for you. And that's the blessing of being a follower of Jesus. Yes, and and we're going to to look at Philippians uh, 2 in a second under another verse, but it fits here too. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who's at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. So the the very reason you want to do his good pleasure is because God is already working in you to do it. Number five is discipline is not opposed to the grace of God. And you know, I struggled with this because Mike hammered away at you're free, you're free, you're free, you're free last week, didn't he? And you are free. Someone might say it's legalistic. And you know what? Disciplining yourself for godliness can become legalistic if your motive is in the wrong place. So I want you to ask yourself one of two questions. Here's the first question. Am I pursuing a more disciplined life to gain God's favor or is my discipline a means to grow in grace and Christlikeness? Is my discipline to become a better uh, soldier of the armor of God? Is my discipline to be a more Christlike follower of Jesus? And the second question is this. Am I pursuing godliness so I can measure my spirituality up against someone else? because that's the wrong motive. If you are pursuing godliness, if you are reading your Bible, coming to church, paying your tithes, serving in any capacity in the church, and you're looking down the pew to see if so and so is doing it or not, that's the wrong motive. You've chosen the wrong motive. And you're not pursuing godliness. You might as well be a Pharisee, because that's the issue that Jesus had with the Pharisees. You tie heavy burdens on these people's necks, and you don't even obey them. And we don't want to be Pharisees. So you got to check your motivations. You know, I love it. I, I love thinking about it this way, but you know, the law and grace demand some things of us. Grace demands all, doesn't it? Demands all of us. The law demands all of us, too. But, but listen to John Bunyan, and, and then in a second, Charles Spurgeon. John Bunyan put it this way, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. See, the law makes demands, but it gives you no power or ability to fulfill the law. Grace demands from you too, but it provides the strength to fulfill what it, what it demands. And that's what these that's what and, and here's Spurgeon. Run, John, and work, the law commands. Yet find finds me neither feet nor hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and lends me wings. And see, you know, it, they're not even your wings. They're Jesus' wings. You know why? Because he did it for you already. He fulfilled the law. He completed it. He made it so that you weren't so that you weren't measured by the law. He he finished it. Finish the work. You know, although discipline sounds restrictive, certainly sounded restricted, restrictive to my kids when they were growing up, I think that disciplining ourselves for godliness is a way we maximize our freedom. Similar to a person who practices the piano is free to play the piano better than me. And similar to a person who speaks a foreign language is free to do things that I am restricted from doing because I have not disciplined myself in piano or a foreign language. See, that person who has disciplined himself in the piano or a foreign language is much more free than I am. If I were to stand up next to this beautiful machine, I would embarrass myself because I've not disciplined myself to play the piano. See, it frees a person to play that well. Godliness. So let me, let me uh, give you a few examples. Um, well, let's talk about godliness briefly. First of all, godliness is not a synonym for boring. Our culture characterizes godliness as boring. Godliness should not be seen as boring. What godliness should be is a God-oriented living that flows out of an attitude to please God. There are a few verses I want to draw to your attention. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to highlight a few words in these because I think this summarizes what being godly means. Godly means. Romans 12, one and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. It means pursuing, pursuing those things that are acceptable and pleasing to God. And it goes on, uh, which is your spiritual worship? You, 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 can come here on, you can come and worship at church, but our spiritual act of worship is pursuing what's pleasing to God. What's acceptable to him? That's as much worship as standing up and singing because it's giving our lives as a living sacrifice. He goes on, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and here's the other word again, acceptable and perfect. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's what it means to pursue Godliness. What what's pleasing to God? In Ephesians five, eight and ten, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Why would Paul tell us, walk as children of light, if the Spirit didn't give us the ability to do it? That would be defeating, wouldn't it? And then he goes on and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So if I could give you a summary of godliness, it's this. Godliness is not just avoiding sin in order to escape punishment. It is avoiding things which we know don't please God because we love him more than we love our own way. It's avoiding things which we know don't please God because we love him more than we love our own way. Well, I hope I've convinced you that each of us needs a spiritual wellness plan. Spiritual growth and spiritual maturity don't happen through osmosis, so I hope none of you go home this evening, lay your head down on your pillow, and put your Bible across your face. That is not going to help you to pursue and practice godliness. It's going to involve some effort and energy. So let me suggest a few things in closing. First, and this, this is for those of you who don't know Jesus because I'm assuming that in a, room, in a room this large with this many folks in here, that some of you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You may, as Paul later says in 2 Timothy, have a form of godliness. You look good on the outside, but there's nothing really going on spiritually inside. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the first thing that you need to know is that you haven't even started living yet. Amen. You haven't started living yet. Because here's what the scripture says. Colossians chapter two, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. See, it's only when we we have our sins forgiven by the savior Jesus Christ that we can begin to even live. And so my encouragement to those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're not alive yet. So tonight, Today, maybe, maybe today is the opportunity for you to turn your life over, to repent, turn your life over to Jesus and begin to live. That's, that's gonna be my encouragement to you. Secondly, if you know Jesus, circle back to verse six. Where does Paul's spiritual wellness plan begin for Timothy? He says, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. It starts with reading and meditating on or soaking in the scriptures. How many of you are reading the scriptures on a regular basis? And when I say regular, I don't want you to get stuck on daily because that sometimes can become a law. Regularly. Are you regularly feeding on the word? We, we need three meals a day, don't we, to survive. And, and when, when we stop eating, how many days does our body go before it dies? 40. About. About 40 days without food, you'll die. It stands to reason if we need three square meals a day, then spiritually we need to be feeding on the word of God regularly. James says, and here's the caution though with feeding on the word of God, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word. Put it into practice. That's how you know that you're really soaking it in. Put it into practice. I want you to see one last application, and this is not in your maps, because I actually added it today. It's found in verses 9 and 10, and it's not even going to be up there for you. 1 Timothy 4, 9 and 10, it says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. What ultimately is the goal of spiritual discipline training exercise? Remember, the context is Paul telling Timothy as a good servant, don't forget the mission. Don't forget the mission. Our efforts in discipline are not tied ultimately to our own benefit, although the benefits are good. I want you to see that our efforts in disciplining ourselves for godliness helps us maintain our hope in the God who saves. That's ultimately what disciplining yourself for godliness is. Are you exercising your abilities to be a good witness for Jesus? Because that only comes with practice. And I know that when I talk to people about sharing their, their faith, they say, I, 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 it's hard, I'm afraid, I'm scared, I'm afraid I'm gonna lose a friend, I'm, you know what, you have to just open your mouth and keep doing it. The first time you do it, it's gonna be really hard and scary. The second time, it's gonna be easier. Third time, it's gonna be easier. The 50th time, it's gonna be normal. But you have to start. You know, I started doing this a couple years ago, and I want you to try this. It's a simple entryway into talking to someone about Jesus. When you go out to dinner, before you eat, look at the waitress or waiter and say, you know what, I'm gonna pray for this meal. How can I pray for you? In, 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 they go, well, uh, 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 uh. about two thirds of them will actually give me a prayer request. But that just opens the door. But do what's natural for you. Come up with, come up with a way of entry to talk to somebody. Work on it, practice it, because it doesn't come naturally. You know, when it comes to spiritual wellness, it is about eating the healthy word of God and avoiding spiritual junk food. It's about developing a plan to get into God's word and exercise in it. As regularly as you would get in a gym. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this and actually Pastor Mike and I were talking about this. Arnold Schwarzenegger looks pretty good still, doesn't he? About, what, 65, 70 years old? He's still working at it. But do you think, think about how much time, I, I, when, I was, when I was in high school, I don't know why I wanted to be a weightlifter. I, I wanted to be a bodybuilder. I, I had all the muscle books, I read all of his books. He he would go to the gym nine, ten hours a day. And he would ride his bike when he lived in Austria. And he worked out so hard sometimes he couldn't ride his bike back home because he couldn't get on his bike. He had to have his friends take him home. Think about how much time he spent in the gym. And here's the reality he's gonna die. And all that muscle isn't gonna do anything for him in heaven. It's not going to do anything for him in hell either. So if you're like me, and and muscle really doesn't matter much anymore, I want to stay healthy, that's important to me, but I'd rather invest more of my time in doing the work of the kingdom. And that's what I think that we need to focus on as we move forward. This week I want to challenge you to start a plan for spiritual wellness. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.